Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Reproducer. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Reproducer. Now, if you've been binge listening us, you'll know who we are. But if not, I'm Mark Jeeves. And I'm Jenny Nelson. And we both produce radio shows on a regular basis. And we really like to know how other radio producers do what they do. Many of the people we've spoken to in this series so far work in music radio, as do Mark and I. So this time on this episode, we're going to dig into the world of speech radio as we chat to someone whose career has spanned Five Live and now Times Radio, where they're the editor of Mornings. It's Hussein Husseini. Presenters are trapeze artists. They sail through the air, you know, and our job, producer's job is to catch them. Radio is so easy. (laughs) It's like, if you compare to making television, which I did for a year at News 24, it's such a faff. So he tells us about initially wanting to work in newspapers, uh, getting work at the World Service, joining Five Live, becoming head of news and head of programmes at BBC Asian Network. This was roughly round about the time, I don't know if you remember, about the threat of closure. Uh, Tells us about setting up an independent production company with Matthew Bannister. And then what a typical day for him entails at his current role, morning editor at Times Radio. And he shares with us what qualities a Times Radio producer has to have. But we started off by asking Hussein to tell us about his career in radio. It's a long story, but it's worth it. Reproducer. Reproducer. I got into radio a little bit by accident. Um, and so I was, I, I left university, did a bit of traveling. I hadn't got any very fixed idea what do I want to do. And I, I, I thought, what do I like doing? And I thought what I liked doing was read the paper. I still do. It's like, you know, what do I want to do with it? each morning? I want to find out what's going on in the world. I want to read into it a bit and, you know, find out more about it. So I thought, well, maybe I should be a journalist, uh, which was a slightly, you know, I, I, I did science at university and I never really written anything uh, particularly apart from, I did some history of science, which was like that. But, I, you know, it wasn't really, journalism wasn't necessarily a thing that you think of perhaps at that point. Um, so I thought, well, I'm, you know, 
what do I do? So I did a bit of work experience. Um, I did a bit of work experience at, not at my own university, but that when I was, um, after I come back traveling, I, I went to Manchester uh, University Radio and just did a bit with them. I did a bit of, uh, at Radio Manchester. I was trying to do newspaper work, really. That was kind of, I thought I'd be a newspaper journalist, but I never, I never got very much of that. I, I tended to get radio work. And then uh, there was a scheme which uh, the BBC advertised called the Radio Journalist Trust Scheme, which was designed to broaden out uh, their diversity. I didn't even know we called it diversity in those days, but basically they wanted people who were who were all completely whites to join in. Uh, and I had great reservations about applying for that. Um, I'm mixed ethnically, you know, I didn't, I don't feel particularly oppressed, um, but my friends and family encouraged me to apply for it. I did, I didn't get it. Uh, and it was fine. I was going to get a press into a newspaper journalism course. It was all going fine. And then I got a, a call from, at my girlfriend's parents' house and said, uh, somebody's dropped out and you were the next one on the list. You want this scheme? We start next week. So that's how I started. So I, I went down to Broadcasting House. I got three months training, uh, including with a spell with Hugh Edwards, who took a little sabbatical to train people at that time. Uh, and then I spent 18 months with uh, World Service, working at NewsR in the newsroom there. And then uh, the African service there. And then after that, do you want to ask me a question or should I just keep plowing on? <laughs> no, listen, it, it, please carry on. It's a 30-year story, this. So it's a 32-year story. It's, so it's, long... it's a fascinating 30-year story and you're condensing it very well. Yeah. So after that, um, Five Live was just starting up and I applied to join Five Live. I didn't get it. It's a bit of a theme here. Uh, but then after a while, they said, we've got we've extra money for we have. So we've got room for one extra to a year contract. So you can work five lives. So I went to work five live and I worked on Up All Night initially, which actually really helped me because I've been a world service. Up All Night was very world focused. So I had loads of actual contacts and knowledge that kind of was really useful for them. And then I kind of ended up at five live breakfast and that was great. I went to New 24 for a bit. I came back there, started sort of zigzagging up a bit, you know, becoming a, a senior producer and an assistant editor. And then I became an editor at Five Live, which was lovely. One of the best things. So I, I was the editor of the Matthew Bannister show, uh, who later became a, a colleague of mine in the production company I ran. And I went to Today, and then I became head of news at BBC Asian Network, uh, which was uh, a slightly strange thing to do. But it was it, they were expanding, and they wanted to create a new uh, field to the newsroom and to do different things with it to produce a kind of newsbeat type program in the middle of the day. And I applied for that and went for that. That was really fun. It was really nice winning a, a big team of journalists. And then the weirdest bit of my career was then they were looking for somebody to kind of manage the whole station. It's a very mixed station. It includes languages, includes music programs, real varied thing, Asian Network. And they wanted a head of programs. And uh, I became that for a bit. So it was about three or four years, I ran BBC Asian Network. In effect, uh, I chose the presenters and made sure things were working and run around the production teams and liaise with newsrooms and that kind of thing. So I read that for a while. And that became quite rocky because after, although when I joined the Asian Network and it was kind of a growing thing, it was something that was something they were investing in. Then it became the way sometimes happens at BBC, the tides turn. There was a bunch of people in strategy who were saying, why do we have an Asian Network? Which is a very good question, you know, which we could argue about all day if you want. I, I can argue it both ways because I see it both ways. Uh, so for a while, look, I'm going to close it down. And that was quite tricky. If you remember the same time I got close six music down, it was a massive campaign. And there wasn't the same kind of campaign for us uh, because it's, a, you know, actually, this is a very difficult audience to reach. And they shrugged their shoulders a bit about the BBC, if I'm honest. 
And that looked a bit dark for a while. I remember working with the strategy people at the BBC, that kind of strategy room, all these very kind of PowerPoint writing executives who were very busy and worked very hard and run around a lot. And I remember being uh, in a room where I ever heard a meeting where the head of radio and the head of strategy agreed to to uh, act the station. And I went back to my close colleagues and said, well, I, you know, basically you say it, we're done for, it's going to happen. And then uh, Mark Thompson, who was director general at the time, overruled them and said, actually, I don't think you've, you've done the right thing because when you look at it, how do we reach this audience? And why would you take away something from an audience that's already underserved? He's absolutely right about that. Yeah. about lots of things. He was absolutely right. That BBC had, had no idea about how to serve this audience. So the Asian network survived and I had a bit of a plan for it uh, which I'd which I'd offered up and had been rejected, but then came back into focus, which was basically to cut it in half to reduce the cost, which would mean it'd be a lot more cost effective and hopefully would no longer be in the eye of the strategists. But at this point, if I'm honest, I'd become quite disillusioned with being a manager at the BBC, uh, not just because they were trying to act my radio station, but also because it wasn't a natural fit for me. I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm, I'm really interested in the news. I don't go back. You know, I'm really interested in, in journalism and telling stories and all that kind of thing. I thought, I'm not doing that anymore. I seem to have become an executive right. in a station with a content I don't really know much about. You know, I'm not, I'm not culturally particularly Asian. I didn't speak any of the languages. I don't like, don't know the music. So what am I doing here? I didn't really know what I was doing there. Uh, so I said to them, well, I'll put in this plan. I'll sack off the staff and then we'll, you know, go forward. And they said, well, you know, why don't we get somebody else to do that? If you want to go, you know, because I, I said, well, and then I'll take voluntary redundancy and I'll move on. I'll be, I'll be one of the people I sack, you see. Mm. And they, so why, you know, actually, that doesn't sound like a great thing to do as the end. Why do you think about going now? And so, okay, I'll, I'll go now. You know, and I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I was attracted by some of the people I'd met who were doing independent production. It seemed quite an interesting area. It seemed something I could build where some of the things I had learned in management and stuff might come in useful. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I'll do that. And then, um, I got a call from my old colleague, presenter, Matthew Bannister, who um, said, would you want me for a cup of tea? We went for a cup of tea, and uh, I told him what, where I was up to and what I was thinking about doing. He said, well, I've always quite fancied having a production company. Would you like to do this together? And in a way, you know when you know when something, well, I think I do. I know when I know when things sound right, you know, and that felt very right. He was like something I admired greatly. He's a brilliant presenter. He's also a very smart able person he understood you know he was head of he was head of radio for the bbc so it must it must be a good thing wasn't it so we, we set up a company uh we did quite a few good things we did uh the local radio share program in the evening and we did lots of good stuff with five live on the sunday evenings we did a program called the hit list which was a social media chart show it was quite an exciting different thing to do with emma barnett on that she was the presenter and then after that, uh, came to we worked with Peter Allen and Jane Garvey, who I'd worked with a lot on Radio 5 Live for their show. At the same time, I was doing kind of specials, you know, so I did a, a programme for 5 Live where we did that, we had to cover a heart transplant, and then we played out through the day. So uh, we started, at the, you know, we couldn't do it live because the main concern was not actually the patient dying, which one concern, but the main concern was it would give away who the transplant donor was. Because ah. Uh, but that you know, my my chap, my son died today, and now he, you know, it's at his heart, you know. It's, right. It's like, so we recorded it all in the operating theatre, and then we played out as live through the day, in the same time sequence. So when they did things in the operating theatre, the radio would come back to us, and it would be as though it was happening. So you get the real sense of this thing developing over a day, uh, which was a, a great thing to do. I think my favourite thing I've done at that period, and then. 
some of the kind of longer contracts I had were coming to an end. I was doing a certain amount of podcasting and the pandemic was just this kind of early, you know, just around the corner or was just starting and I, was, I wasn't really sure. I'd already worked a long time from this seat. I spent a lot, you know, I'd always been doing two or three days sitting here and I was quite fed up with that, actually. I was losing motivation. I wasn't sure. And I, I was reading the paper and the paper said, Times Radio is launching. Yeah. And I've always... I've always read the Times. I love the Times. I love the people on it. You know, it's the paper I would tend to go to first. I like the style of it. And it's making a radio station. And I thought, well, you know, the same way I felt when, when I met Matthew, you know, uh, this is where I want to be. You know, I want to be a Times Radio. So I rang up Tim Lavelle, who is the director of programming, uh, who'd already been appointed, that I'd like to come. And uh, and then it all went quiet for a bit. And then there was an application process and I applied. And then uh after walking quiet for another bit and then i got a job uh and then we started in uh in the sort of the, July, the end of the june in the pandemic first bit of the pandemic so it was really weird you know we were going to this massive building where we were pretty much the only people in it apart from a few people who fed us and a, and a lot of cleaners because they were very keen on cleaning at that point um and the odd person who was like you know doing a bit of radio engineering or something it was a really strange kind of period and we launched this radio station and it's been the best thing I've ever done, actually. It's, it's kind of suits me uh, down to the ground. Every day I get up and work out what's in the news, what's in the times, what are we going to put on the radio? You know, it's fast. It's it's based in the news, which is where I started and why I want to do this in the first place. Right. It's it's quite hard work, but it's really good. And we've got, you know, it's a lovely atmosphere. It reminds me a lot of the time, my time of Five Live, where, okay. where it's quite a young a young crowd of people who are sort of often starting out in their careers or developing their careers and they're having quite a, quite a lot of fun. Fantastic. That's, and that's where I am. And interesting in a way, you, you, so you've almost got to that place you started at, which is where you almost worked for a newspaper. Or, but you never quite yeah. became the newspaper yeah. journalist, but you almost did. Was, yes. there ever, was there a pivotal moment where you went, you know, I'm going to stick with radio and not try and get into print. Was there something about radio that attracted you that you went, okay, I've had this long-held ambition to write yeah. for a newspaper, but now I'm not going to? I see, I think the thing was, it wasn't it wasn't writing for a newspaper that was driving me, and it wasn't working for the radio that was driving me. What's been driving me is each morning trying to understand the world around me. Oh, I understand, yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing that gets me up in the morning. And it could be, actually, that I was working for a newspaper, or it could be I was doing TV news, or I could be writing, you know, there's lots of ways of doing that. But radio kind of found me, and it suits me, uh, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is the impartial culture of radio, you know, in the BBC, and even, even with Times Radio, we work under the Ofcom guidelines, we're an impartial radio station. Of course. And I don't particularly want to tell people what they should think about politics. I don't, you know, I don't have this great urge to say, I know, I know better than you who should be prime minister. I don't. I just want to, I want to say this person does this, other people say that, you know, not in a kind of in an obvious seesawy way. I want to explore that and to get to the bottom of things, you know, but I don't have my own axe to grind. So broadcasting actually probably suits me better than print. Understood. So there's that. And then the other thing about it is radio is so easy. <laughs> Like, if you compare to making television, which I did for a year at News 24, it's such a faff, yeah. you know, and it, a lot of it is very logistical. It's all about, have you got the camera here? The other thing about television news, it's always, it's completely the wrong way around. It's always about, I've got a picture of this, so what story can I tell? Oh, right. In radio, what we have is, I've got this story I want to tell, and then how do we do it? And it's simplest for radio is, you know, 
All you need is what well, you've got there. You've got a microphone, you've got a line out, and you've got somebody to talk to. If you go anywhere in the world, you can find somebody to talk to, then you can make a radio item, you can make a programme. That's all you need. And, and all you need is to have the urge to tell that story, and it works. And it works with minimum of fuss. You spend mo more of your time thinking about the story, thinking about the, the content, than any other medium, I think. That, that's what I really love about it. I mean, I don't even have to think about that hard, about what I write. You know, you know if you're writing in a newspaper, you've got to spend at least a bit of that time going, right, I'm going to think biggie, middle end, stretch, all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm way ahead of that. I've already made a three-hour programme by the time you've done that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that description of radio. I think that's one of the clearest and most uh, inspiring descriptions of radio that we've had, isn't it, Jenny? It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's great having you on, Hussein, not just... I mean, the brilliant networks that you've worked at, but most of the people we've spoken to so far are working in music radio. Yeah. And uh, I've, uh, apart from a brief stint at LBC, my background is more in music radio as well. So I'm fascinated in hearing, I mean, I love the, I love hearing you say how easy radio is. And I get that. I get mm. in the sense of production resources wise, it is very easy. But for speech radio in particular, I mean, there's a real skill to, being a producer and honing your craft and and in your career who in particular has been an influence or a mentor mm. of sorts to you and kind of taught you what's important about storytelling on radio yeah I, th I think um th there are there are lots of people you know, I could point to I suppose but I think what what I would I point more to two cultures that I was part of that really formed what I do now and, and who I am as a um, that sounds a bit pompous about how I do my job as a, as a journalist as a, as a yeah. producer the, the first part is is the world service when I was a trainee there and they are the most rigorous people and they uh, think about every word you know they, they write news stories about places that are far away where information is difficult to get hold of and they pull together threads of stories and they try and work very they use things called a two source rule so they'll only broadcast something if they know two independent yeah will tell them the same thing and they're very very careful to make sure they're telling them exactly the same thing not something that's a bit similar they're very very careful to make sure the sources are are really independent it's not the same person who's got two sources who then come to them and every word they they write in their news bulletins is considered and thought about and they're desperate to make sure that it's as accurate and as clear and can be said to anybody all over the world as possible it's scrupulous and thoughtful and I that really affects me and I still you know when I write scripts now for a presenter I hope I some of that gets in there you know some of that kind of rigor and making sure that what I'm saying is as true as I can make it and then the second culture I think that really got into me was the five live culture it was about accessibility and it was about reaching people and it was about saying we don't know more than the audience does necessarily we're not we're not these smart people who are going to tell you where, where everything is we're discovering this, we're finding this out new, we're people with open minds who are just trying to find this stuff out and then bring it to you and to do it with you. You know, it's very interactive Five Live, you know, it's very much about what's the audience telling us, what well, the audience is telling us this, the politicians are telling us that, what, what's that, where's that leave us? And we are, we're a conduit uh, to the, all these, all this information. We're not, you know, certain other radio stations can quite pompously tell you that you know the, the tablets of stone from the great minds and the great educated people of uh, uh of the world you know giving you the lecture and that's not what five lives like and, and it's very audience focused it's very much about you know what you know what what matters to people what's really important you know it's probably not 
a minutiae of politics. It's probably about your gas bill, you know, it's about, you know, and they, they have that kind of very human touch. So what I hope is those two cultures, every day, every every day I go to work now, I'm, I have a bit of both of those in me. And that's that's what's really formed the, the journalist I am now, the radio producer I am now. Reproducer. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Looking back at this stage in your career, looking back, is there any advice that you would give your younger self kind of starting out? So I think for me, I suppose there are, there are times when I wish I'd been less worried about mistakes or failings or not being quite good enough and just got on with it a bit more. I suppose that's what, you know, with hindsight, you know, I could have probably just allowed myself to relax a bit. So I wouldn't necessarily say that's advice I would give to everybody because I think people, there's like a spectrum, isn't there, between people who are, you know, keeping themselves um, back from doing what they could do. They're, they're restricting themselves because of their worries. And there are people who are doing things they really aren't ready for, you know, and we're all on that spectrum somewhere. And I guess I probably, I'm not, you know, I'm not crippled by shyness or or uh, inability to move, but I'm probably a bit further to that end. I probably just sometimes I think, you know, I could have just tried things out a bit more and just allow myself to do things a bit more. So I think that's what I'd say. As Jenny said, we've talked to uh, many people in the music radio industry and we have had you know, some pretty good explanations of what a music radio producer does. As, as our, uh, the first time we talked to a speech radio producer, how would you define the role of speech radio producer in a nutshell, if it's possible? I think it all starts with what's the story you, know, you want to tell. So what's, what's the story we're talking about? You know, uh, are we talking, we're talking about making speech radio so that's what we want to talk about okay let's 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 examine that let's find somebody who knows a bit about that let's talk to them and then either we can we can weave that into another hundred stories and take it into a half hour amazingly built documentary with with sound effects and take you on a journey or whatever or in a 13 part podcast series if you want or you can do something that's more conversational and more human and it and you you get all that kind of extra information that comes out of the pauses and conversation and, and the and the byways of conversation that you get in that more fluid uh, end of things. So it's it's all about picking a story and trying to tell it. I think that's that's what you try and do each day, and, and you try to work out what are the tools I can use for that. So that can be um, the guests you choose, or the way you write a script to try and convey information, or it can be a conversation between two. What's lovely about what I do now is is that you I do the basics. You know. I, I write the script and then I book them, we book them guests and then off the back of that, they'll have their conversation, their reaction to it is a big chunk of what's going on there. It's not something that the BBC does as much in their kind of national programmes. You know, they're able to just 
go, well, bloody hell, did you, you know, what did they say there? You know, and then they can, and that kind of reinforcement of messages or interpretation of messages is really nice to do. Uh, but it's all about taking a story and finding a way of telling it. I mean, that's that's what that's what speech radio producers do. And you have to, as part of your role, you have to manage the talent uh, who are, as you say, who are telling these stories or uh, conducting the interviews. Mm. Is there a different challenge, do you think, in managing talent for speech radio than you might have for any other different sort of format? Because, as you say, you, you, they've got to try and communicate this story to the audience in their way, whilst at the same time remaining impartial and all of those good things. I think what producers forget sometimes about presenters is they're up there. You know, they're out, they're out there and they're exposed and they're vulnerable. I think often I describe it as, you know, presenters are trapeze artists. They sail through the air, you know, and our job, producer's job is to catch them and to make them feel like they're going to be caught. You know, you don't want to make them feel like nobody's looking when you're flying through the air. You want to make them feel like we're all looking at you and we're going to catch you. We're going to get you back to the ground safely because that's our job, you know, and that's, uh, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And I think whether that's music people or speech people, it's kind of the same. And I don't think it's, I remember I with Bobby Friction, uh, who's a specialist in music, and all of what he's doing when he's doing, you know, telling you about a new record, you know, this amazing thing he's heard, is always, it's a story. The story of the, the artist or the story of the record, the way it was made, or the story of the way the music is, you know, that's the same, isn't it? And it's all about the way he can convey that in a way that reaches that audience. And, you know, there are, absolute buggers as presenters and they're absolute dreams and 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 uh they all need they all need support um and you know sometimes that's harder than others you know and it can be it could be a painful process uh but i don't think it's that dissimilar really can you take us through a typical day for you as editor at times radio and what skills and qualities are you looking for in your producers who you work with as well at times radio uh, so uh, my day starts at 10 to 4 uh, with the alarm clock and uh, I get up and I've got about uh, 15 minutes before the taxi comes to take me to work. So at that point, I'm trying to do a combination of washing, making myself presentable and also trying to work out what the hell's going on this morning. You know, so it's just a lot of foam with teeth brushing and, you know, seeing what so I, I get a handover from the from the people who were up later than I was who were making the program what's in the program what have we got where are the holes where are things may be better what's the time saying what's in the papers what's BBC News saying what's Sky News saying so I'm doing all that and I get to do more of that in the in the car on the way in so I have about a 30-40 minute journey where I can do more of that and I'm kind of really and when I get there and there's a team who've got there a little bit before me who were a bit ahead and then it's about bringing everything together and trying to work out how we get from five in the morning to 10 in the morning and what we need to do to make that programme really sing. So I do a lot of, at that point, I do a lot of writing. Um, so a lot of cue writing and trying to make sure that the cues uh, sing, that they they reach out to the audience, they make, make people want to engage what we're doing. I do a fair amount of cutting bits of clips and music and, and just trying to make, make them come to life, you know, make them grab you, make you stop you. I know, you know, if you, speech radio, uh, in our office, when somebody plays a bit of music, everybody looks up. And same as you're, if you're making um, the tea at home and somebody does something that's a bit weird sounding, it'll attract you back into you at the world of the radio. So it's a very engaging thing you can do. Or if somebody says something funny or says something that surprises you, it's always about trying to think of ways of surprising the audience in the morning. So that's that's what a lot of what I'm trying to do is add a bit of surprise in, while at the same time making sure that uh, everything is 
right and accurate and the you know you know interrogating him and say is that have we got that right is that really what's you know is that the right judgment to that is are we are we being fair to the the people in front of us what the, and then we spend quite a bit of time working out what the questions we're going to ask so we usually have the government minister of the day on every morning and we spend a bit of time working out what we're going to ask them and we have a times radio has a kind of an attitude towards these we, we, we don't think we're there to beat them up or to catch them out or to make them look like fools we're there to have a civilized conversation where they can put the point they want to put but also they'll get asked questions that we want to ask them about serious uh things you know important things so we don't do the so tell me minister what's nine times eight and if they can't get it right we, we broadcast it you know we don't we don't you know when do you stop busy your wife minister we don't ask those kind of questions uh, we try and listen to answers as well, so we don't spend a time but 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 butting them. It's really irritating to listen. We have a bit of an attitude about our attitudes, and that can work really well. It can be it makes a good listen, I think, for the audience. You know, there's downsides too because sometimes sometimes you feel like did they get away with talking us out? You know, because we have quite a limited time. You know, so there's pros and cons in that roots, but it's our roots, and we've stuck with it for two years now, and I think we it feels like it fits with our overall station vibe. You know, we're a friendly warm uh interested station who isn't there to kind of think people are crooks before they walk in the door you know that's not what we're really looking at so a lot of time spent thinking of those questions and thinking of questions for the opposition we usually get an opposition person every day we have several reporters who work with us and i work a bit with the questions with them and how we uh what we're talking about in the morning and we write the, the material for that we have a panel at 10 past nine where people talk about the news of the day and so we write, well, what, what are the subjects? And that goes right back to the kind of doing a phone-in type things. What's the question? What's the question we're asking this morning? It's all it's all about questions, actually, whether it's questions, you know, you're posing questions for the guests, questions you're trying to, you know, get a panel to engage with, questions for the audience. Everything is about answering those questions in the morning. We, when we started, we often said we were trying to discover the day. That was the aim of our programme. It's more like the Five Live mentality. We're not, not here just to tell you what we know. You know, we're here to find out together and we puzzle over the day together so that's i do a lot of that and that gets somehow gets me to 10 and then it's kind of it's starting again i mean i, I um i work also with the matt chorley program and help them devise some of that some i mean the, the, the man is a, a genius and he does most of that devising himself but he has a, some really good producers who work with him and i help them out there as well so but mostly then it's on to the next day so right what are we doing tomorrow and that can be incredibly telecom that can be incredibly hard you know what are we doing tomorrow i have no idea i'm just exhausted after a while, you get into it, and it becomes right. Okay, now what? Now I'm excited again. I'm excited about what's happening tomorrow. Uh, and so, 30 years on, I'm still engaged with it every day. This, you know, it's probably why I've gone back to doing this kind of work. It's just, it's just so engaging. You know, there's always more to know, more to learn. It's fun, you know, and it's, it's, it's fun working with the people around me because I have, you know, a lovely team who are also engaged with what we're doing. So. It's, yeah great well it's lovely i mean it's lovely hearing how energized you still are about about your job and about radio so going back to that team what qualities do you think a good producer for for times radio what do they need to have not just an interest in news not just a drive but what what other qualities i think there are two ways people come into radio you know some people come into because they love radio and some people come into because they love the content you know and the radio it's the best way of expressing that content that's you know true music people or comedy people or news people so sometimes i think well actually the best way i get my my thing out there is through the radio because it's a good medium it works for me it suits me but there's other people who love radio for its own sake and they like they like the the 
craft of it. I think probably if you're going to be a, new, a Times Radio person, you do need to have the news bits. You know, you have to have the kind of content urge more than anything else. You know, we can give you a bit of the radio urge. But it's not a particularly complicated radio station. You know, it's not, uh, it's it's a simple, it's a, it's relatively simple format. You know, it's, it's what's the story? Who's the guest who tells that story? Ring them up, get them on the radio, help the presenter ask the right questions, move on to the next one. You know, that's that's the routine of it. So you need to be able, you need to know the news, you need to know your politics, you need to know the Times, you need to know who the Times writers are, you need to know uh, what the other newspapers are like as well. You need to this whole this whole incredibly broad news culture we have now. Well, that's often social media based, you know, what's happening on Twitter, what's happening, you know, in, in the kind of the conversations that are going on out there. And I think you need to have that kind of restlessness about it, you know, you actually to really want to do the next thing. So a combination of really knowing about the news and having a load of energy and being a decent person to sit next to in the office. And if you have those three things, you'll get on fine with us, I think. Talking about your, your team, and you've mentioned already that it's a young team. Do you have trouble getting young people or are there things that you have to actively do to attract people into Times Radio? There's no difficulty at the moment getting people, but it's just uh, getting the right people who have the right mix of talents that land well with us. And it might be that people who are quite right for us, but we perfectly right going to work for, you know, a different radio station or a different part of the media. You know, it's, it's, there's just something that's quite specific about, and I don't, you ever quite know whether people have got it until they start doing it. Right. You know, you don't quite know. People may have the right CV, may have the right background, but until they actually sit there and do the job and try and fix a program or try and write a screen, you, know, you just don't know whether they can do it or not. A lot of people come through our doors, get a lot of experience very quickly. I mean, I'm sick at the moment. I mean, we, we, we have more news in the last two years. Than I think I had 10 in earlier parts of my career. It's just so fast. There's so much going on. It's so bewildering. And so people are learning very, very fast. And then often, you know, other people will say, well, you learn a lot from Times Radio, we can pinch them, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's, that's fine. That's on to the next person, really. It's just sort of more people are coming in. And I think you have a bit of an assessment. And, and then we, we try and help people make sure that they there's not something stopping them developing in the way we want. Which is good to hear, um, because one of the things that we have talked about a lot is the future of radio. And, and I know we've talked about younger producers, but getting younger audiences is actually a challenge for radio. What's your view on the future of radio? It's not something I, I worry that much about. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, the, the media culture changes, doesn't it? You know, there's always something new. It always moves on. You know, I suppose we've seen in audio the podcasts, you know, change, if you like. Uh, but... I also, I think what tends to happen in, in history is that media adds to itself. So media doesn't disappear. You know, we still have newspapers, even newspapers on bits of paper, you know, they, you know, they still exist. We still have radio, even though it's older, you know, television came in, it didn't kill radio. Uh, we have podcasts, I don't think they're killing radio. I, don't, I, think, I think there's just always more. There's always, it's an expandable, elastic thing. So I don't, I don't see radio going anywhere. I think when you talk to people around, obviously the podcast thing has changed how people are getting into audio. And I don't think we know yet how that will develop for radio, if you want to meet. I mean, I, don't, I think the distinction becomes smaller and smaller, doesn't it, over time? There is still something about what I do. It's liveness, you know. So there's live audio and not live audio, I guess, right. is the reality of it, isn't there now? Just to wrap up, it would be really nice to hear about kind of what you see as your proudest moment in your career so far. I suppose the heart transplant 
the Aslab heart transplant was um, kind of uh, a special thing. Uh, it's not quite news, actually. It was, it's a very much a feature, a feature, isn't it? You know, it was, it's something that's been going for a long time. It, it came about partly because I, I remember as a boy reading the Sunday Times magazine, uh, so there's a link for my now, which was about the people who had heart transplants. And I was very captivated by that. And so if you can show uh, something to people, so you can show that there was a man who needed a heart and was given a heart by the most brilliant medical staff and the way that affected his family and the way it brought him back to life and gave him time to see his grandchildren. If you can show that to people, then they can make their own conclusions about the rightness of donation. So there was on the day, we had this kind of way of telling a story of this dramatic operation in real time, which if you stayed with Five Live, then you would, you know, over that morning, or even you just came in and out of you, you get the sense of it. There's this urgency, there's a drama, there's something going on here. We had the most amazing surgeon who talked his way through it, you know, and said, uh, explained what he was doing and about the difficulties of surgery and about the dangers. And there's the kind of the shock of the presenter, Chris Warburton, who I work with at Five Live, is, you know, as he sees a man's heart come out of his chest and is sitting there and just beating slightly and, you know, what? And then the new heart comes in and they start to pipe it in and the complicated nature of that. It's, it's a, it's a, and to hear that in bits and to kind of follow it through and then to follow the family through as you, you know, discovered what happened to the man afterwards and, and we didn't know if he was going to recover well or what you know we didn't know what was going to happen to him and it developed into other things as well we, we did this with the queen elizabeth hospital in birmingham and we ended up doing several projects with them including we did a day for five live where we did 24 hours in the qe where the whole radio station decamped uh, the queen elizabeth and spent 24 hours in the wards you know nikki campbell came down and uh, all the other presenters came down and, and did a different bit of the programme from there and went to different parts of it and saw how I'm busy NHS Hospital works these days. And that was the kind of probably the high points of my my time as an independent producer. Thank you. Well, there's just two kind of quick fireish questions that we like to finish off each podcast with. And you might have a similar answer for this one. But the first one is, is what moment in your career so far best fits into the description of OMG? The second one is FFS. Um, but first off, OMG. <laughs> Well, I, I guess, you know, so I, I apologise if this is repeating myself, but I, I guess when you see a man's heart removed from his chest and put on a table next to you and it beats slightly away and you look at it and think, wow, you know, that's an OMG moment, I hope. And what about FFS? And this is not a very jolly one, I'm afraid, but I, I suppose uh, we I was at Five Live on the day of 9-11 and uh, I was having quite a relaxing day of it, actually, because I was... I was going to move programs and I was just having a chat with some of the sofa and there was a, there was a bit of a puff on a plane that hit a building. And I wasn't, I wasn't responsible at that moment for the output. So it was kind of, oh, yeah, I watch the TV and see it. And I remember the second plane going in and that, you know, so one plane can accidentally bump into a building that can happen. When the second plane went in, it instantly cleared to me that this was an attack, you know, and that New York was under attack from people in, in a way that we'd never seen before. And it made me, cold uh, and then I thought well actually I, I know a man who is a defense analyst in America who would be able to say in a way what I've just thought myself this is an attack and would say very clearly because at the point we saw what else going on he'd be a huge made it a single analysis and I had a, you know I know his number because I've used him a lot and I rang him up and said have you just seen what I've just seen I said you're going on the radio and I put him through to the other studio and off he went and and that led to a kind of 
I was part of a team that went to New York and we broadcast uh, from New York on the, you know, the, the beginning of the following week. Once we could get there, you know, we'd all, if you remember, the planes were all shut down yeah. several days. So we were the first flights. We were pretty much the first passenger flight that went to America. And we did programs from, from there in the middle of the night in America because we, we were breakfast programs. We were doing the middle of the night back here. And it was a great, it was a great experience professionally because there were so many great journalists and radio people who went. You know, it was like uh, people at the top of their game got sent to New York at that time, uh, and so you were working with people who really knew what they were doing, and it was the most amazing story. And you feel again, it's a sort of privilege to be part of that and see that. And at the same time, we would, you know, in your off time, you go down to the, the sort of the front line where there, there were pictures of people who were missing, and you get the kind of uh, the taste of. The grit, the grit air was full of this kind of grit, you know, and it was, and you didn't want to think about what that was, you know, because it was, mm. what, what, you know, it's, it's a horror. It was a horror. And I think that's the kind of the, I guess, another oh my God moment or an MS moment, I suppose, but it's, it's, it was, it was a, a painful one. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks just so much in general for taking the time to talk. There, I feel like I have so many more questions. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, thank you. Nice. No, quite enjoyable, actually. Reproducer. I really enjoyed talking to Hussein because it's such a different field to anything I've ever done. I've been in music radio all my career. And speech radio actually terrifies me a little bit when I think about it. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure that I'd be able to do that. But listening to what he said, a lot of the techniques do transfer, I think. Uh, but clearly you've got to be thinking about, you know, it's a 24-7 head-on situation, isn't it? You're thinking about stuff all the time. Yeah, and I think doing breakfast as well, it's waking up and instantly having to be across everything and be one or two steps ahead of everything. Mm. I think that's a real skill as well. Um, and yeah, it sounds like he loves it though, which is brilliant. It sounds like he's still really enjoying what he's doing. I also love to, listening to him talking about Five Live. When Five Live started, because Radio 5 initially, and I wasn't too interested in that, but when it became Five Live and became the Rolling News Network, I, I was kind of obsessed with that when I was driving. Listening to it, you just think, how is this stuff being created? How is it being put together? And so to get that inside info as well. Uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating guy. And we hope you enjoyed our chat with Hussein as well. He's just one of many radio producers we've spoken to and who have taken the time to share their experiences with us. So if you'd like to listen to others, check out the other episodes in the Reproducer series, such as Mark Lockett, the exec producer of the Absolute Radio Dave Berry Breakfast Show, Adam Utman, who's now at Acast, but his career involves XFM, Kerrang, Radio 1, Six Music and Radio 2, where he produced Steve Wright in the afternoon. And we also have an episode chatting to Susie Purdy from the Simon Mayo Show on Greatest Hits. And she also worked with him at Radio 2 as well. So lots to get stuck into. And until next time, thank you for listening. Reproducer. 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 <laughs>